Welcome back to the Refugee Report. This week is centered around Afghanistan, a country that has had ongoing and consistent conflicts for decades. The geopolitical control is constantly changing and civil liberties are increasingly finite throughout rural parts of the country. The country faces massive humanitarian challenges, and the situation in Afghanistan has produced the second worst refugee crisis in the world. In order to understand how a catastrophe of this magnitude was produced, we first need some context. However, before beginning, we would like to warn you that the information and audio presented may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Afghanistan is a landlocked country in Central Asia. It is lined with the Hindu Kush mountains, making it an incredibly rural region. It is made up of a diverse set of ethnic and tribal groups that have existed there for thousands of years. Its centrality greatly contributed to this diversity because it was a common stop along the Silk Road, meaning travelers from all over Eurasia would pass through the area. This frequent commerce and central location made it a desired region for many empires of the past. However, its mountainous landscape prevented any successful invasion from taking place, making Afghanistan known as the graveyard of empires. Its reputation of being a difficult country to invade would persist into the early 20th century. Afghanistan sat between the Russian Empire and the British Empire of India, making the region act as a separator between the two. Despite aspirations of the British to seize some land in the region, their military campaigns failed, leaving Afghanistan isolated once more. Its independence would persist into the 1960s when King Mohammed Zahir Shah ruled over Afghanistan. Although Afghanistan was modernizing during this time, there was a lot of political instability, including a coup from the king's own cousin. This political instability persisted through 1978, when a revolution took place in Afghanistan. A new communist government was established, much to the delight of neighboring Soviet Union. However, the government was extremely oppressive and unpopular among tribal groups. In addition, the Soviet Union viewed the president of Afghanistan, Hafizullah Amin, as a destabilizing influence in the government. The Soviet Union wanted this to become a stable government due to the Islamic Revolution in Iran. The USSR was concerned that neighboring countries such as Afghanistan and Soviet states would have similar Islamic revolutions and oppose the USSR. This led to the Soviet Union invading Afghanistan on Christmas Eve of 1979. By all accounts, the Soviet takeover was meticulously planned and skillfully executed, but it has not been clear just how the Soviets were able to set up their coup without the Afghans realizing what they had in mind. Urban areas were quickly captured, President Hafizullah Amin was executed, and a puppet leader was put in his place. Despite the Soviets' effective invasion, they were quickly painted as the enemy by other Muslim countries in the region. They were seen as invaders that were suppressing Islam in Afghanistan, convincing many that this was a religious or jihad war. This led to the formation of the Mujahideen, a coalition of tribal and religious militias dedicated to fighting the Soviet Union. They also had foreign backers such as the United States and Pakistan. In fact, the United States constantly funneled resources and military equipment through Pakistan to the Mujahideen during the war. In addition to this, wealthy Arabs and Muslims financed and fought with the Mujahideen. However, one of those people who fought with the Mujahideen was a wealthy Saudi Arabian by the name of Osama bin Laden. This meant that the United States assisted and supplied Osama bin Laden and his men during the Soviet-Afghan war, someone who would go on to attack the United States. 
As the war goes on, the Mujahideen used guerrilla warfare tactics against the Soviets. Although the militants lost nearly every battle, they did cause consistent and prolonged Soviet casualties. Once Gorbachev took power in the Soviet Union, he was increasingly anti-war and didn't think the USSR could feasibly take Afghanistan. This led to him signing a peace agreement in 1988, and in 1989, the Soviet-Afghan War ended. Good evening. The retreat of Soviet military power from Afghanistan is complete. The last of Russia's regular army invasion force is out. Fear and uncertainty were mixed with joy today as the commander of Soviet troops followed the last of his men across the border, leaving the communist Afghan regime alone to face victorious resistance fighters. Although this conflict had ended, it left a lasting scar on Afghanistan. This war alone had produced 6 million refugees, and civilian death estimates ranged from 500,000 to 2 million deaths. It was the end to a catastrophic war, but it was not the end to violence in Afghanistan. The Soviet Union continued to aid the Afghan government, but the Mujahideen gained more territory and eventually surrounded the capital city of Kabul. However, the leaders of the Mujahideen each wanted different governments set up in Afghanistan. This once united coalition soon split up into different Islamic militias, and a civil war broke out in the country. One of these militias was an extremist group known as the Taliban. They quickly seized power throughout the country, and by 1996, the Taliban had captured Kabul. All other remaining militias united against the Taliban and retreated to northern Afghanistan. They became known as the Northern Alliance. The Taliban then begins to enforce strict Sharia law throughout the country. In addition to this, the Taliban harbors terrorist groups looking to carry out terrorist attacks abroad. One such group is Al-Qaeda, another predecessor of the Mujahideen, and a terrorist organization led by Osama bin Laden. Throughout the 90s, bin Laden is monitored by U.S. intelligence after carrying out attacks in East African U.S. embassies. The Clinton administration even attempted to capture and assassinate bin Laden, but was unsuccessful, meaning he remained at large. This led to the worst and most horrible day in American history, 9-11. As a result of the attacks on the World Trade Center, Pentagon, and on United Flight 93, nearly 3,000 innocent people were killed. The U.S. quickly identifies al-Qaeda as the attackers, and President Bush declares a war on terror. As mentioned, the Taliban harbored al-Qaeda within its borders both before and after 9-11. Therefore, President Bush gave the Taliban this warning. More than two weeks ago, I gave Taliban leaders a series of clear and specific demands. Close terrorist training camps, hand over leaders of the Al-Qaeda network, and return all foreign nationals, including American citizens, unjustly detained in your country. None of these demands were met. And now, the Taliban will pay a price. The Taliban's refusal to give up Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda operatives meant the United States was going to invade Afghanistan. In the early stages of the war, the United States quickly captured major cities in Afghanistan with the help of the Northern Alliance and NATO forces. A new government was set up, and most of the land was under U.S. control. Obviously, this did not end the war in Afghanistan. One reason for this is that the rural and inhospitable terrain of Afghanistan gives an advantage to Taliban fighters using guerrilla warfare. Another reason for this is the United States' failure to complete the Ring Road, a highway connecting Afghanistan's four largest cities. In 2002, there were only 50 kilometers of paved road in all of Afghanistan. It was thought that if a highway system could be built, supplies would be moved more effectively, troops could be moved around more easily, 
and the country would be mostly stabilized. However, the U.S. war in Iraq diverted resources from this project. The Obama administration tried to revitalize this program, but it proved to be too expensive and dangerous for construction workers. Around this time, the U.S. begins to limit the number of troops in Afghanistan. Despite the slow U.S. withdrawal from the region, the conflict is still ongoing. The Taliban has had a resurgence in Afghanistan not seen since 2001. In fact, the war has been so long that it started before I was even born. As a result of this prolonged conflict, numerous human rights crimes have been committed by the Taliban. The strict enactment of Sharia law in Taliban territory has led to public executions and severe torture. Reasons for this have ranged from shaving your beard to not wearing traditional clothing. However, Afghan women have faced the worst of human rights crimes. In fact, Afghanistan is widely considered the worst country in the world for women. In Taliban-controlled territories, women rarely leave the house, and if they do, they must wear a burqa and be accompanied by a chaperone. Even some women outside of Taliban territory wear burqas out of a fear of being targeted. Experts also believe that domestic abuse and sexual assault is rampant, but women have no way of reporting this. In addition, there is next to no education available for girls living under the Taliban. Another issue that has humanitarians greatly concerned is the high number of forced marriages, many of which involve child brides. Although this is especially a problem in Taliban territories, child marriages are happening throughout the entirety of Afghanistan. The girls that resist this face torture and death by their own family members. Listen to this one account from a lawyer about one of her clients, a girl who tried to tell her family she was getting a divorce. You went home once. What happened? Six months ago, I went to my father's house with my divorce papers from the court. They all attacked me and started beating me. We took, took a police escort with us because we knew that it was a dangerous situation. As soon as they saw Sohela, the women and the family started to attack her. The men and the family came out with guns. There was a shootout on the street. And the police had to take, whisk her and take her away uh, in order to save her life. Her brother refuses to let Sohela marry the man she loves. If Sohela is not coming back to us and goes with that donkey of a man, she will be killed. We are not afraid. We are not afraid of dying. We are not afraid of beating. We are not afraid of killing. For us, it's like killing a sparrow. It's nothing. I think the only option she has is to leave the country. Other people, just like Sohela, have been forced to flee their homes due to the violence. Around 2.5 million people have fled Afghanistan and are now living in the neighboring countries of Iran and Pakistan. The few that have received asylum in Western countries typically were translators for U.S. troops or are high-level targets of the Taliban. In addition, there are over 4 million internally displaced refugees in Afghanistan. These camps are underfunded and overwhelmed. There is overcrowding, poor sanitation, a lack of access to clean water sources, and high unemployment. These factors have made COVID-19 especially a problem in these Afghan camps. Also, the Taliban has still targeted figures that are living in refugee camps, making them especially unsafe. This is a crisis on a massive scale, yet it is often forgotten or ignored by people around the world today. The conflict has been going on for so long that it has, unfortunately, lost some people's attention. So we want to recommend some organizations that you can support that are working in Afghanistan. The first is the Malala Fund. As you all know, Malala Yousafzai is an advocate for girls' education 
and her organization is working to provide an education to Afghan girls. That link will be included in the description. Another is, once again, Islamic Relief USA. This organization is providing educational services, orphan support, and food services throughout Afghanistan. They will also be listed in the description. Although we do recommend these organizations, it is important that you do your own research before spending your own money. That concludes this episode of The Refugee Report. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and stay up to date on future episodes. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a friend. Our goal with this is to educate as many people as possible about refugee issues. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Wartime Aid. Tune in next week to learn about the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. As always, thank you for listening.